The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I can guarantee you're absolutely in the right place. Welcome to the Future of Business with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP Services. If you're keeping track, this is Season 2, Episode number 10, and we've got a lot more coming. A shout-out to David Fowler, David S. Fowler at SAP, who sponsors this series. Let me get started. The buzz today, data breaches, cybersecurity attacks. Really? Still? Okay. Let me tell you more. The news headlines report major corporate data security attacks almost every day. By now, everyone should be aware unless they're hiding under a big rock somewhere. However, too many companies are still vulnerable to hackers. Why? Those hackers are working diligently. They're uncovering avenues and inroads and byroads to get into your confidential corporate data. You know who's been in the news recently, and they're going to exploit it any way they can. You tell me your company data isn't vulnerable. You took care of it. Really? Are you sure? Well, let's have a reality check here. Even if you figured out how to plug holes in your networks, the hackers may be getting in through wait for it, wait for it, your applications and solutions. Here's a a fact you might want to know. Many organizations have significant network security in place, but 84% of all cyber attacks are happening on the application layer. Question for all of you out there, whether you're a business owner, a manager, a leader, in the C-suite somewhere down below, you should be concerned. So the question is, are you proactively securing your application layer from vulnerabilities? And that's our topic today, the final security frontier application layer. A couple of topics we're going to be covering. Here's some heads up for all of you. Cyber attacks aren't coming from kids sitting in their bedrooms, tootling around on their computers in the middle of the night. This is much bigger than that. Fact number two, there is an active online market for malware kits. Say what? Okay, I know they sell a lot of stuff online. Never heard of that one. And here's another fact. Attacks on applications are facilitated by BYOD. That's the bring your own device to work trend. OMG. We have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this out, dissect it, and maybe come up with some really good ideas for you and your company to protect yourself on that final frontier of the application layer. Let's get started. Jason Schmidt is up first. He's a vice president and general manager of the Fortify business in HP Enterprise Security Products. And Jason sent me this wonderful quote from Carl Young. I think this is Young's first time on SAP Radio. And the quote is, who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakes. Jason Schmidt, welcome. How did Carl Young get into our topic today? How are you, Jason? I'm doing great. And actually, you know, this quote really brings into mind a way 
to think about software security and, and understanding applications in the way that you kind of presented this. And what, what this brings out to me is if you look at software today, every application that exists is powered by software. Software is kind of everywhere in business already. And for a long time, software was the domain of business. But now it's the domain of the consumer because it's powering just about everything everyone does all day long. So software is enabling really exciting and cool things, like software is enabling a robot to vacuum my floor. It's mm -hmm. enabling cars to drive themselves, things like that. But when you really understand how pervasive the software threat is, you really have to look inside to understand what to do about it. So you talked about the, the amount of successful breaches that are targeting applications, and mm -hmm. there's an economic reason for that. Hackers are really smart. They understand where the most lucrative and the easiest access to data and sensitive information is, and that's by targeting kind of the soft underbelly, which is the software that we, we push out and give to everyone without really thinking about how we're securing it from the inside. And so since security is, is really what I call an emergent property of something, it's not something you can just think about and do, it's really mm -hmm. um, comes down to can you trust your software. So when you push it out to all of these people and power your business with it, understanding the inside of how secure it is is, is critically important. Jason, all good points. A uh, question is, is this really breaking news to, for example, our, we have an audience in over two to 300, I've lost count, two to 300 countries and regions and individual states in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, is this really going to come as a surprise to people that applications are the final frontier? I'd love to say this is breaking news, but do you think that the news has permeated down from the sensational headlines and people are really understanding what's going on? You know, that's a great question. I think the awareness is becoming more widespread, but it, it is not showing up in the way enterprises and companies spend towards the security problem. So depending on who you listen to, um, organizations spent somewhere between 45 and $50 billion on security. Mm. A very small percentage of that was focused on applications. And so the spending is not speaking towards a real awareness of the problem. So their heart, they think, is in the right place, but it's not quite there yet. Thank you very much. The sensitive, which we call it the vulnerable underbelly of applications. Thank you, Jason. Great start. Let's turn to our second panelist. I'd like to introduce Rick Turner, and he spells his name R-I-K, for those of you who are wondering. He's a senior analyst on Ovum's Infrastructure Solutions team. Always happy to have our friends from Ovum here on the show. And the quote Rick sent me is from none other than Bob Dylan. And let me read you. I promise, Rick, I won't sing this. You better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone, for the times they are a-changin'. Rick Turner, welcome to Future of Business with Game Changers Radio. How are you today, Rick? Well, thanks, Bonnie, and thanks for the, the introduction. Um, yeah, that, uh, I chose that one quite deliberately because I think there is a case of needing to really wake up and smell the coffee. Um, it, it, it's a, it's the situation has changed so dramatically in terms of how people are attacking um, enterprises or organizations, entities. I mean, it, it can be government organizations, it can be, uh, or it can be private companies. But the way that cyber attacks are going on and the motivation for them has changed so mm -hmm. dramatically um, from the days of what we what, what they sometimes call the script kiddies, the guys that used to get sort of lionized in uh, Hollywood movies like hackers. These days, folks are, are, are writing stuff that they can get into your network. They can be stealing. 
vast numbers of credit card details, personal information, stuff that really counts. I mean, Sony was only the latest, I suppose, at the end of last year. But now we're seeing just, I've seen just today that uh, a major U.S. uh, health insurer uh, anthem is talking about tens of millions of uh, U.S. Mm. individual citizens uh, having their, 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 their data stolen. I mean, it's it's big business, and the problem is that now it is so easy to do. I mean, literally, you can go online, find a little piece of software that's been used many times before, and uh, you can make a couple of little tweaks in it so that it performs ever so slightly differently, making it very difficult then to actually detect when it's doing its, its mischief. And away you go. In addition to that, if you just want, all you want to do is launch a humongous attack on someone's network so that they, so that everything is, is gummed up, the, the works mm-hmm. are gummed up, you can go out and rent uh, a network of what they call bots, in other words, just kind of mm-hmm. uh, compromised machines, and launch a vast attack on which, is, you know, whole banks have had their, their networks down for, for hours on end thanks to these attacks. So the, the, the economy of, uh, of cyber attacking has just changed so fundamentally that it really is a case of, you know, you've got to start swimming or you really are going to sink like a stone. Well, thank you for, for wrapping, looping that in. Rick, I have a question for you. I mentioned in my intro, yeah. and this is one of your talking points, cyber attacks are no longer coming from adolescents. We like to think of geeky boys with, with pocket protectors and all pimply sitting in a bedroom somewhere, and mom says, good night, dear, and they put on this special light, and they get into their computer, and they're hacking into stuff, and they have another, an alter ego, if you will, another persona. If it's not them, who exactly are these? Are we talking about sophisticated? syndicates of hackers? Are we talking about soccer moms who are getting into this industry? Just briefly, Rick, just give me a little uh, personality profile before we go to our next panelist, please. You've actually got probably two or three different communities. I mean, definitely there is the, the, the cyber criminals, and these guys are networks of, uh, uh, of individuals or of, uh, of folks sitting. It may be in the U.S., but it may equally will be in the former Soviet bloc, or down in Brazil, uh, there are, wherever you've got a collection of people who can write good software to do what it needs, this nefarious things that they need to do, um, these guys are selling their, their, their abilities to the highest bidder. So there is the criminal motivation for hacking and for getting into networks and, and stealing uh, intellectual property. There is also the, uh, the, the state-sponsored uh, hacking activity, uh, which we've seen. I mean, in the last few years, there, there have been these monstrous attacks on all of the U.S. banks, which were clearly politically motivated by the wonderfully named Al-Qassam cyber fighters, launched a thing called the Operation Ababil against people like J.P. Uh, Morgan and uh, Bank of America. And uh, all they want to do is really show up that they can bring down American capitalism. They're not out there to make financial gain, but they are also mm-hmm. harnessing the same kind of um, attack capabilities um, to create havoc. So you've got a, a variety of reasons. And, of course, there are the, 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 the so-called hacktivists who are 
who were principled uh, hackers who think that they're doing this not because they are fighting for some form of uh, Islamic fundamentalism or anything like that, but people like Anonymous out there who are folks who just think that they, they need to attack um, evil capitalism uh, wherever it may be, raise its ugly head. So and, and Anonymous is a, is a major sort of global network of hackers. Thank you, Rick. Great. I appreciate the personas. Uh, we've certainly put a lot on the table here, and I want to introduce our third panelist. It's Andreas Gluga. He is direct. I hope I said that right, Andreas. I really practice. Director of Quality Assurance Solutions at SAP. And Andreas has sent me a quote from Eugene Spafford. Those of you unfamiliar with Spafford, his nickname is Spaff, S-P-A-F, and he's a professor of computer science at Purdue University. And here's why why uh, Andreas has quoted him. Spaff is a leading computer security expert. By the way, he was born in 1956. Here's the quote. Security is like adding brakes to cars. The purpose of brakes is not to stop you. It's to enable you to go fast. Wow, I love that. Andreas Gluga, welcome. How are you today? Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, and I'm very good. Uh, Yeah, I think this this quote is really, you know, perfectly fits our conversation. And, and, you know, I want to also take a little bit different approach to um, you know, my colleagues here, Rick and, and Jason, um, because, you know, I'm, you know, originally, as you might recognize from my accent, I'm German. So, you know, for us to going fast on the, auto, on the autobahn, on the highway, it's a fairly daily routine. We do this on mm-hmm. a daily basis. So the security cannot be another stepping stone, another hurdle uh, we are putting in there. It's similar to brakes. Brakes are not there for you to stop you driving fast. It's there to give you the confidence go fast. The confidence that you're stable and that if needed, you can, you know, stop in time. So that's really the the point where you're able to go fast and the brakes are there and you're not thinking about the brakes constantly. Security needs to be somewhat similar. It needs to be part of what we are doing. It needs to be part of our daily life, part of what we're doing on a regular basis. And we're not thinking about constantly. And again, it cannot be something which is stopping us, which is slowing us down. So it's really about, um, you know, applying basically the same principle um, from, you know, going fast, not really thinking about the brakes, but having a capability and having something in place which gives us the confidence to roll out new versions of applications, a mobile app or similar things, um, new applications, roll them out with the confidence that the data which you have in there, in those applications, the data which is being used, the customer data, that this data is safe, and that is not can be hacked by different people who basically do this in many cases, you know, for the money or for political reasons. So it's really about security is giving you the confidence to go live with those applications without having additional hurdles and, and stepping stones in there. Thank you, Andreas. I just want to ask you uh, just a l- little more from you. Do you agree with the personas that Rick talked to us about? Who is out there doing what? And and who do you think is the most prominent? Is it the, the fun hacktivist? Is it the person who's government-sponsored? Is it somebody who's trying to make money? Any thoughts on those personas? And, and which one do you think is at the top of the most active list for you? Yeah, it's 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 certainly not that uh, you know young kids is doing this for for the fun of it. I mean, there is serious business behind this. Uh, if if you think about the value of a credit card uh, information, or earlier, you know, we heard about and, and Rick was talking about the Atom, um, you know, health insurance company breach, um, where millions of social security card, uh, social security information was stolen. 
there's significant value behind this. Like a fresh credit card can be valued around 20 to $45 for a single credit card information. So if your credit card information was stolen, this has a value of 20 to $45. Doesn't sound like a lot, but if you have millions of those, there are serious mm-hmm. money behind this. So point is really, these are serious organizations. It's not even just single people, but these are serious organizations. Um, sitting in many cases, as we've also heard like from the FBI director, he's talking about, in many cases, uh, those people are sitting in China. They're sitting in, in Russia. Uh, and they're basically just out there for the money. So these are, you know, serious uh, people with a, a serious business purpose uh, in many cases. So it's a it's a counterculture business if you think about it. I want to tie in Jason Schmidt's quote from Carl Jung. Before I ask you all, you know, there's a very tough question coming to my panelists. It's what's in your cup today or what do you wish you're drinking? We'll get there in a second. But the Carl Jung quote, who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakes. Quick question for Jason, and then we'll ask Rick and Andreas also. Who looks inside awakes? Is somebody being held responsible? Is somebody being uh, strung up by the you-know-what, you-know-whats because they brought in an applications and they didn't think about the security somebody being in other words pigeonholed and put under the spotlight and told ah bob in the corner office it's your fault you brought in these 10 great new applications did you think about security bob who's getting uh, pinpointed for this jason schmidt quickly that's that's interesting because it's actually sort of an indirect responsibility in this case which makes it a challenge the the application owners are the people who build these cool things and push them out to market as fast as possible to make money. But it's the, the security team's responsibility to make sure they're not bad. So that kind of diffusion of responsibility makes it difficult to have true accountability for it in, within the people who build the software. Thank you. Rick Turner, thoughts on that question? Yeah, I'd, I'd add to that that, well, as I was mentioning earlier, the whole, or as I mentioned in some notes I sent over earlier, the whole kind of BYOD, bring your own device uh, scenario. We've got enterprises going mobile, mobilizing their workforces, and um, increasingly we're seeing um, companies saying, look, I'm not going to try and buy 50,000 smartphones and distribute them to all of my staff globally. I'm not even going to ask my my mobile provider, my cell cell phone provider in each individual country to give me uh, all the all the smartphones I need for all of my staffers. It's just going to be simpler for me to say, okay, you bring in what you want and we will make sure that it, we can connect it to the corporate network, and away it goes, uh, you're getting access to all the applications. What's happening, of course, is that people are then using their own smartphones, and they're loading their own apps down on, onto them from, from app stores all over the place. And people are then, what, what's happening is that the hackers then can, um, can infect an app sitting in an app store which you might download to your smartphone that you use personally, but then you also take it into work. And mm-hmm. unless the security is appropriate on that co- on on your work network, uh, there's a very good chance that that thing's going to break out and start doing all kinds of damage on the work systems. Because the the, the app that, that that you downloaded personally, there's no responsibility for that. There's no accountability for that. Certainly, I mean your 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 IT. Uh, people, your IT department won't even know necessarily all the apps that it's got running. I mean, mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody the other day who'd run a, a check for, I think it was for for Cisco. They ran a check for Cisco on all of the um, uh, file and sync systems that I had, you know, all the stuff that you can just 
put a file up onto the onto the internet, and people all over the world can then pull it down, provided you give them the right contacts for it. And they thought they had one or two. I think they had like you know they thought they had maybe one or two Dropbox, a couple of Box, and a few other mm-hmm. uh, uh, applications were, were being used in that way. They had like they had like over forty five. So they didn't wow. know that themselves. So you know, it's it's it's. It's the, the consumerization of IT with people bringing their own devices, choosing what applications they want. It's democracy, but it's also potentially anarchy in terms of the uh, security of the applications. Thank you very much, Rick. Andreas Gluger, we have to get you in on this. What do you think? Who's to blame? And is it Bob or is it the security team or who is it? A combination? Talk to me. So, I mean, it's, it's really also what Rick pointed out. It's a bring your own device, obviously, one aspect. And more and more organizations are also getting into the, the nature of putting more responsibility in every employee's mind. So if you bring your own device, you're also responsible. You have to think about security on a daily basis. You have to think about what you're putting up there. Uh, and, and organizations are basically educating uh, or their employees about, okay, what is needed. So is this, you know, all over the place? No, that's what I'm, what I'm saying. But it's happening more and more um, that people are getting educated uh, person by person, really. You know, they're a single employee. Um, what is your own responsibility for taking care of security? And this is to do with if it's your own device, if it's a specific application. But if there's a corporate application, it really is in the securities team responsibility to really, you know, validate are those applications secure or not. Does this always happen? No. In many cases, the security people, when they talk about security, they are thinking about things like firewalls and VPNs. They may be mm-hmm. talking about things like, like roles and resp- responsibilities. Uh, but it's not about just putting walls around our infrastructure. I mean, for all of us to do business, we need to have some level of openness. If it's your online banking application, uh, you want to have a mobile app on your, uh, even if it's your, your company phone, you want to have the online banking application uh, on your mobile phone, uh, and this obviously needs to have some opening uh, to the bank if it's you know for you to, to pay utilities bank so utility bill. You, so you need to have this openness, um, but you need to think about okay, you know what does it really mean from a security perspective? So yeah, there's oh. a, the corporate side, but there's also the single employee who takes more and more responsibility about what does security mean for my company where I'm working for. And that's a question of education and awareness and probably buy-in, and everybody has to say, yes, I will sign that compliance statement because it's not just a joke. Okay, I have a very important question for my panel, and it's not a joke. What's in your cup today? And the reason is that our series today, The Future of Business with Game Changers Radio, is part of our bigger series, our flagship show called Coffee Break with Game Changers. So I'd love to know, tell me again, where are you calling from and either what's in your cup right now, if it's interesting, if not, what do you think would be more interesting to drink after the show? Jason Jason Schmidt, talk to me. Yeah, I'm calling in from Atlanta, and, and right now I have slightly cold coffee in my cup, so that's not interesting. But a little <laughs> interesting story that's a little germane here is, and I'll be quick. About a week ago, I was in the office and received an email from the mailroom that said, hey, we have a package here. It's been here for a couple of months. If you don't come get it, we're going to send it back. So I went down and picked it up, and the mailroom guy says, it's a bottle of wine. So it was, it was like a Christmas gift from a, a business associate. So later that night, uh, I was having some cheaper wine with some friends, you know, something with a kangaroo or a cupcake on the bottle. And then we decided, <laughs> hey, why don't we try this wine that, 
that was laying around the office for a couple of months. So we tried it, and then we both stopped and looked at each other at the same time. It's like, wow, this is actually pretty good. Maybe we should see if this is what this is. So we, we do what you always do when you're curious. We Googled it. Turned out it was a $300 bottle of wine, and now oh. suddenly it tasted a lot different. And we were <laughs> very thoughtful and meticulous about how we drank it. I love it. That's one, that's one of our best stories, I have to tell you, Jason. It certainly is interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, who looks inside awakes? Yes, who, who Googles the name of the, the wine label awakes and says, aha, that really tasted good. I knew it. Rick Turner, I won't challenge you to top that story, but what are you drinking or what do you wish you're drinking? And where exactly are you calling from again, Rick? I'm calling you from Newcastle in the north of England, some 300 miles north of London. Now, I can't, we can't rival you guys in New York for snow at the moment. We have, we have snow here, of course, but uh, nothing like the kind of stuff that you guys have been suffering for the last few weeks. Um, but it does get pretty chilly up here in northern England, and I have actually begin, begun to develop something of a penchant for... Uh, it's, it's to do with coffee, so it's a coffee liqueur, which, I'm, which I should be having sometime later today, which is uh, that Mexican coffee liqueur called Kahlua, which I find, oh. if I drink it with a coffee as a kind of a, as a, kind of a chaser, uh, they, mm-hmm. it certainly warms the cockles of your heart and gets, you, gets the body warm. Very well put. I love Kahlua. I haven't had it in years, but I think there may be a bottle that probably is still just as good, Rick, sitting in the back of my untouched liquor cabinet. When you all come to New York, you'll come and share Kahlua or Amaretto or something with me, okay? You're all all invited to my radio station in my home office. There you go. And Andreas Gluga, where are you calling from and what's in your cup? So I'm calling from Palo Alto, California, and, and one of the big points here is that it's specifically this year and, and uh, or this winter, it's pretty warm, um, and it's you know it's not the typical winter. Uh, I don't have snow like like you have or um, having cold weather like like maybe Rick has, um, but I'm also not going for wine like Jason. Uh, definitely not. I'm clear coffee drinker, um, but it really depends on where I am. I'm, I'm you know going globally, and sometimes when you're in a very warm climate. You don't want to drink a hot cup of coffee. Um, when you're in a cold climate, you don't want to have a cold drink. Yeah, but I still want to have a coffee drink. So basically, right now I'm just going with a, um, just a coffee latte. Um, but when it's warm, so later on, probably in the day, I prefer a caramel frappuccino. This is basically, I don't know, you know <laughs> fancy drink. A lot of you think, yeah, sure, you're there. that's a you know a gazillion calories. So the one thing you have to keep in mind when you have this drink, just Skip a meal because it has so many calories. It's a meal by itself. Yeah. So, but I like ah, the caramel frappuccino. That's a very nice way of thinking about it. It's either the frappuccino loaded, high test, full of sugar and all kinds of goodies, or it's a meal with just plain coffee. Very exactly. smart, Andreas. And by the way, I have to tell you all that our sponsor, David S. Fowler from SAP, says in my cup today is cinnamon dolce from Starbucks, no whip. Well, thank you for adding that. Talk about watching the waistline. We know Dave is very fit. Uh, guess what? They don't let Bonnie have caffeine on radio show days, just plain water. What can I tell you? You're listening to 
The Future of Business with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP Services. Our topic, the final security frontier application layer. have to tell you, if you've just joined us, that sounds like kind of a dry topic. This is fascinating. It's critical. It's interesting. I have a great panel sharing insights and case studies. And every company, I don't care how big or small you are, where you are in the world, what industry you're in, every company needs to be aware of this. So we're talking today with Jason Schmidt at the Fortify Business in HP Enterprise security products, Rick Turner at Ovum, Andreas Gluga at SAP, and I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and we'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Red out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to the future of business with Game Changers. Welcome back. We've already basically done half of our 30-minute roundtable, so let's finish the roundtable formally. We're not going to take another break, Dave Fowler. We're going straight through. We'll save about two minutes per panelist for your predictions in the crystal ball round at the very end of the show. Uh, we're talking today with Jason Schmidt at Fortify at HP Enterprise Security Products, Rick Turner at Ovum, Andreas Gluga at SAP. Jason Schmidt, interesting talking points, notes you sent me. I'm trying to find something we haven't covered yet. Uh, I'm going to read a couple statements and then you can run with it. You say, as a massive percentage of security spending goes toward protecting networks and OSs and machines, the software is left largely undefended. We've already established that, but here's where I want to go. You say, the future is cloudy. We're going to put quotes around that. When our software is running within the perimeter behind our security defenses, you have little hope of protecting it. And then you add, the web has changed that. When you run it in the cloud, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, on someone else's infrastructure. So what happens when we're cloudy? Talk to me, Jason. Yeah, this is something that's really a shift that everyone sees kind of in computing in general, of course, with the the enabling technologies with cloud computing and a lot of the application services that are available there, infrastructure that you can buy with a credit card and not really invest anything other than just a monthly fee. So that, that enables new new business models for enterprises or any organization that wants to reach customers in a new way. But what it also does is change the way they have to think about securing the things they're producing. 
and what that a great example is if you look at like consumer packaged goods companies or any anyone sort of in the consumer marketing business they they very often put up applications for promos and the super bowl and different sort of events but really what they're producing is is software applications that are now an extension of their business but they don't really control it so much they might have paid a vendor to build it for them it's running in a cloud somewhere so their their ability to control that is really, really reduced compared to five or ten years ago, where they had some assurance that it was behind all of this billions of dollars they were spending on perimeter defenses. So what they have to think differently about is how do I secure that application before I launch it into the cloud? And that's really the only way to be sure that it's secure. Okay. Rick Turner, thoughts on the cloud? Yeah, I could agree more that the cloud is a major uh, evolution in the way that uh, IT functionality is delivered to end users. And given that now increasingly people are accessing uh, IT uh, applications from all over the place, not just from sitting in, and in, the, in the company's uh, headquarters or in the company's, on the company's premises. They may be working from home, they may be out on the road, they may be in a hotel or in, a, in an airport uh, lobby somewhere uh, and still needing to uh, sign off on a particular piece of work uh, regardless of uh, what time of the day it is back in, the, uh, in their home state or in their hometown. Uh, the cloud is enabling a lot of that, and uh, so it's it, it's very positive in what it enables people to do. Well, you could say it's negative in it, it enables you to work even more than eight hours a day. But in any case, it certainly is allowing this greater flexibility and more greater mobility of workforces. On the other hand, uh, what we hear as, as analysts over is that uh, one of the great concerns that all companies have in putting more and more of their functionality out onto a cloud is that it's great because we're not paying for all the hardware, all the servers, and all of those mm-hmm. things that we, we used to have to have in the data center. That's someone else is spending that now. And we're just taking the benefit. We're just reaping the benefits of that by putting our applications onto their hardware and having them run it for us. That's great. Um, on the other hand, we don't know what kind of security they've got. We don't know how good mm-hmm. their security is. They may tell us it's reasonably good. We go in maybe once a year and have a look, and it looks pretty good on the day that we're in. But uh, how really secure is it? And even if it turns out not to be secure, someone hacks that application and steals all kinds of stuff, we might well, then they obviously the cloud provider is going to be insured and be able to pay us back some kind of a recompense for our loss. But what about our reputational hit if we've lost, I don't know, mm-hmm. 10 million uh, credit card details? So it's the security aspect of cloud that is really uh, of great concern today and will only become more so as more and more things get cloudier. Mm, forecast cloudy. Andreas Glug at SAP. Thoughts on cloud and infrastructure and IT security and application layer security. What do you see? Yeah, so, so Rick and Jason are definitely correct. I mean, it's a, it's a well-known fact that security around cloud is the number one concern for many organizations. And there are indeed companies who stay away from going to the cloud because of security. Uh, I don't think this is a long-term solution. I think we, we would see more and more organization going this way because there are a lot of benefits there. But we also need to think about 
where the applications are coming from. And in some cases, those applications we're putting down in the cloud uh, might even come from an outsourced development group. So if we basically host it in the cloud, if we uh, have an outsourced development team, so what is our responsibility at the end of the day as a company who's responsible for the application and the data there, it's still our responsibility to make sure that the data is secure. So because we don't have the infrastructure in our hand, we don't have control over the infrastructure in the cloud, we even more have to make sure that the applications are secure. And when we have the code and the applications coming maybe from an outsourced development team, we have to ensure that those outsourced development teams really validate the code. And it's not a one-time activity. It's something where the outsourced development team has to validate the code on an ongoing basis. Thank you very much, Andreas. I want to circle back to Jason Schmidt. Anything you want to add on this cloud topic we've covered before I go a little bit different direction with Rick Turner? Yeah, one thing I will add to that is if you – I mentioned before how software is really going into the consumer's realm and home much more frequently than it did in the past. If you extend that a little further and think about all of the, the devices you have that are connected at home, some people have their TV, their refrigerator, alarm systems, all of these things. They, they don't think as consumers that they're using cloud computing, but they are, and they're putting devices there with applications connecting into the cloud that they're not even aware of. And so there's an awareness side of that as well that's going to become increasingly important. You're making this even scarier, Jason. Uh, Andreas or Rick, you want to chime in on the consumer side, M2M, and our, our wonderful burgeoning world of Internet of Things? Either panelist want to add something before I go to something else? This, Andreas, is just one comment, I mean, about the yes. consumer side. I mean, uh, you know, we've all basically used things, if it's Dropbox, if it's Box, things like this. Uh, and, and the point is, is very true. As a consumer, we don't think about, oh, this is in the cloud. This is basically, to some degree, open. And are those, is the data we are putting out there, is this secure or not? Yeah. So um, the, the consumer not thinking about that it is really the cloud where all this data resides, I think it's a, it's a really big concern. And you see a lot of, I mean, I just read a report recently from uh, Edward Snowden, or uh, you know, <laughs> famous oh, yeah. uh, person here, and, and he was basically... Um, talking about uh, the, the problems with those, um, yeah, Dropbox, Box, all those different uh, sharing sites, uh, file sharing sites. Um, and and it, it is a serious concern because when people don't have to control the security in their own hand, they somehow need to trust those different companies, but they also have to validate that they indeed, the data is secure there. So, it's, mm-hmm. again, it's an our own responsibility. Every consumer by themselves have to validate is what we are doing is just secure. And it's something and of course, people... Uh, on the uh, Internet yes. of Things uh, that you're talking about, mm-hmm. money, I mean, that, if anything, only compounds the problem of security in as much as, I don't know, what is it these days? I can't remember, but, we're, but the, the, some numbers I've seen suggest that, what are we, 7 billion people on the planet? They're probably about, I don't know, half of, uh, of that, maybe two and a half, maybe 3 billion uh, devices currently connected onto the internet, something of that order, uh, whatever it is, it goes up by a factor of ten or more uh, once the Internet of Things uh, really takes off, and we're having many, many, many billions of things that are just simply sitting on the internet, sending out and receiving data with no human interaction. It's not like someone's sitting there and working every individual sensor um, on every lighting Mm -hmm. system. And so the potential for havoc 
it, to be created uh, across the Internet of Things is, uh, is, is of a different order, I would argue. It, it is, and argue, arguably, inarguably, you're absolutely right, and people are, are being told to be excited. By the way, it is 7 billion currently people on the world planet. I checked that one. Uh, we're supposed to be excited about sharing our data on wearables and making sure we, we have mm. all of our health wearables and our Fitbits and we're communicating things to our doctor. We had a show on wearables and privacy last week, and the question is, yeah. do you know where your data is going, your heart rate and and your calories and maybe where you're going and what you're doing, it's going out there somewhere. People are not paying attention to that yet. So, Rick Turner, this is a good segue. I'm looking at your notes here, and you had an interesting point. I think there might be a little more meat left on this bone. Let's see if you want to pursue it. Identity management is becoming ever more mission critical. I think that's a good tie-in with what we're talking about. You want to flesh this one out for us? Yeah, I mean, essentially... um Large companies for many years now, uh, you, you know, any, anyone who's running, I suppose, more than, uh, certainly more than 500 employees, but, and obviously, you, you, the General Motors and the Fords of this world with their tens and hundreds of thousands of employees have for many, many years uh, been running things called identity and access management systems, which are quite simply the stuff that enables you to log on and access whatever you need within the company network to be able to do what you need to do. So if you work in payroll, you need access to a certain kind of system. If you work in marketing, you probably need something different. And clearly, they don't want everybody uh, and his uncle accessing the payroll system because there's going to be all kinds of problems and the unions are going to get involved and you're going to find out what, all your, what your direct boss is earning and so on. So there's a great deal of control goes on with identity and access management systems. That was a fairly well-established, and if I can almost call it sleepy world, for a number of years. The problem has has come now that um, some of these guys that, uh, uh, that uh, I think Andreas was describing as the sort of whole organizations of hackers sitting in different parts of the world writing very clever, clever code, what they've started doing now is they plant stuff on a, on a corporate network that doesn't do anything at all for short term. It just sits there and sniffs around until mm-hmm. it finds what they call the, uh, the credentials of a privileged user. So somebody, typically somebody mm-hmm. in, uh, in IT development who's going to be writing some new uh, applications and therefore needs to have to access to all kinds of the applications across, this, across all of the corporate systems because he's trying to do something clever so that you, from your iPhone, can log in and do something very clever with something at the back end of the system which enables the company to work faster and more smoothly wherever you happen to be and blah, blah, blah. So that's all very well and good. But that means that he, this guy can access everything. Unlike me... Or who, who only need to access certain systems within Ovum, or the guy in, in payroll, these are got the, who only gets to payroll and doesn't see all of the stuff that I'm writing. These, mm-hmm. these are kind of the super users with the super privileged credentials. And what these, so what they're doing now is they're stealing the privileged credentials because that enables you effectively to access all of the crown jewels within the corporation. And so, in the world that we are moving into, uh, I think identity uh, management is going to be so much more critical because you've got so many more applications running, so many more places from which they're being accessed.
accessed and so many potentially so many more people who are accessing them at different levels within the organizations and as we move out into internet of things as we move out into um into ever more mobile uh enterprises the problem only gets worse so it really is going to become critical to uh, be able to manage identities um, whether it be in an M banking, you know, mobile banking scenario, or whether it be in an Internet of Things scenario, or whatever, it's going to be ever more critical. And I think we're going to see ever more uh, identity management concerns um, in corporate and indeed in government um, uh, uh, networks. Thank you, Rick. Andreas Gluga, any thoughts on what Rick just talked to us about? I think it's a wide open topic. You want to add something? Yeah, it is a very wide open topic. Yeah, I mean, it also goes into the directions where we talk about things like, um, you know, how secure is your password you're using? And, you know, mm-hmm. we've all heard about this since many years. Yeah, don't use like five or six letter passwords. Uh, they have to be very, uh, you know, complicated with special characters in there and, and things like this. Because we need to be clear, if the password is very simple, if it's a very basic uh, password, if it's like a six-letter password, I think it takes, for an automated system, it takes about an hour to crack your password. Uh, so yeah. it's really it's a very fast way to crack your password. Uh, so identity management is one aspect. It's also about what are the rules for your passwords, for example, how many times can you use the wrong password, uh, things like this. There needs to be systems in place which really ensure uh, that you cannot just try it you know, you know, a thousand times, a million times until you get it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there needs to be, you know, systems in place, which goes along this overall identity management. And yeah, Rick is, is, is right. I mean, if you get the right user account uh, and get the right user account and password, you get to the crown jewels. Yeah, this is, you know, it's, it's a huge concern. Absolutely. Exactly right. Jason Schmidt, thoughts? Yeah, what I would add to what these guys are saying, which is very appropriate, is that the identity is important and to, to really take advantage of effective identity management in, in, a, in a security protection context, we also have to bring in the data and the application. So in other words, if we have decisively identified this user and we know exactly who they are at all times, we now have to consider should they be using that application in this way from this place and accessing this particular data. So that context altogether is what really makes the, the identity effective. Thank you very much. And you know what? I'm going to try and squeeze in one quick additional topic here from Andreas's notes. Uh, maybe this just doesn't need a, a debate. Maybe it's just something we, we just want to have Andreas talk about because we're really running short on time. Andreas, you say security needs to be part of the DNA in the software development lifecycle. You want to expand that just for one minute, and then I think we'll have a minute for each of the other panelists, and then we have to go to our predictions round. Andreas? Yeah, I think this is an important subject. So I could talk mm-hmm. about this for, for much longer, but one, one minute. Uh, it's basically something uh, when we think about application security, uh, we cannot wait uh, until we just validate security in production. We cannot just run penetration tests you know, every six months. That's what we see some companies are doing today. Uh, it really needs to start very early. We've, we know about you know, statistics from the National Institute of Standards and Technologies, they're talking about finding and fixing a defect in production 30 times more expensive than finding and fixing it in development. So we need to start in development to basically run the security checks in development, but then also run this on the running application when we are in testing, run the mm-hmm. additional security checks with all the different dependent applications and dependent data 
uh, run the security test then on the running application and then still obviously run it also uh, on the production side. But it needs to start early to keep it also cheap. I talked earlier about very much at the beginning, it, it needs to be something for our daily life uh, where the developers, the people who are basically creating those applications start in development running those security checks on the code they are creating themselves. Mm-hmm. Jason, thoughts? Yes, uh, Andreas and I definitely see eye to eye on this one. And, you know, it, it's often, it often happens when you get a lot of security-minded people together. We all begin to sound really hopeless about the problem. But in, in application security, it's really simple to start to make a huge difference, and that is before you ship some software, before you deploy it, security test it and fix as many problems as you can, then let it go. If you just start doing that, you make a huge impact. And then the more rigorous you get about that and the more proactive you get about that, the better you get at it. But as long as you just get started checking it before you ship it, then you make a massive impact. Good, and we want to make a massive impact on this very difficult area. Rick Turner, I'm going to give you one minute to comment on this before we go back to Jason to start the predictions round. Rick? Well, there's no question that uh, baking security in from the outset is always going to be better. A posteriori is always worse than a priori. You should always try to uh, bake it in and get it right from before the get-go so that once you unleash the thing, you don't then have to uh, keep coming out with uh, patches and uh, uh, as we see, but, uh, I mean, main, many of the major uh, software vendors out there, um, household names, are doing regular monthly, weekly even, patches because basically you ha- they haven't managed to iron out all of the, all the glitches in their software that they've released to the public. Thank you very much. Short and sweet. Appreciate that. It's time for the predictions round. Crystal Ball, I know the three of you got it out, polished it off before the show, and you're ready to go. Jason Schmidt at Fortify at HP Enterprise Security Products. You're up first. Jason, I'm going to give you exactly two minutes. Tell me, what do you see coming down the pike on this topic? Good, better, best, anything different? More awareness on the corporate side, more testing, more understanding that the application layer is the final frontier of vulnerabilities, which is our topic today. The year 2020 looks good to me, but you tell me how far ahead you want to predict. Jason Schmidt, two minutes, go. I'll definitely use a four or five year time horizon. And when I look at the application security problem today, a lot of our focus is on pushing the responsibility down into the people producing the software to do everything they can to make it more secure, which as Rick mentions, is still always going to be the effective way to solve this problem. But it's, the, the fact is it's not going to be able to keep up with the amount of software, the amount of applications that are, that are coming out every day. So what, what I see happening in four or five years is the software itself will become self-protecting, meaning we will, we will have technologies and processes that, that enable the software itself to detect that something bad is happening to it and have the ability to protect itself. So it doesn't matter where it's running if it's protecting itself. Okay, thank you very much. That was short and sweet. Appreciate it. Rick Turner, you're up. I can give you a little more time because Jason went a little bit short. Jason, we'll come back if you want to add some more predictions. Go ahead, Rick Turner. How far ahead into the future would you like to predict? Oh, well, in in the IT world, it's very dangerous to go more than about uh, six months. But I'll say uh, by the end of this (laughs) decade anyway, unquestionably we will see an awful lot more 
of corporate functionality and not to mention consumer functionality, the things that we're already doing as consumers on the Internet. An awful lot more will be going out into clouds. Therefore, a lot more functionality will no longer be under the control of individual companies or individual organizations. It will be proffered to them uh, from, uh, from some cloud remotely from somebody else's data center. Therefore, I think that the problems of application security will only become more complex um, if, indeed, as Jason says, uh, we move it towards uh, self-protecting software. That is going to be one important development, one very important development. Of course, there's going to be an awful lot of legacy software out there that's been around for 10, 20, 30 years already, um, which will take a long while to work out of the system. Mm-hmm. So we're not, it's not going to be overnight like all security is going to be defending itself, but gradually we should move in that direction, and I think that's the best way it can go. Um, and I think we will con- continue to see significant data breaches um, in the U.S., certainly until such time as the U.S. Um, really gets on board with uh, chip and pin for, on, the, on the, uh, the credit card side. But then more broadly, I think we're going to continue to see significant breaches around the globe um, as more and more uh, malware is written, more intelligent malware is coming, Mm. and um, certainly taking advantage of the fact that we haven't got uh, 100% self-protecting software already deployed uh, and universally adopted. Wow, smarter malware, more intelligent malware. That's something to look forward to or not. Let's talk to Andreas Gluga from SAP. Andreas, crystal ball, how far into the future do you want to dare to predict this topic? Talk to me. (laughs) Rick is definitely right about predicting more than six months in the future. is a tricky one. Uh, But if we look look far down the road, I think I have to um, somewhat not side in this case with with Jason about uh, uh, self-protecting software. I think this is a nice dream. I think four or five years in the future is too soon for this um, because, as, as Rick also pointed out, there's a lot of legacy software out there. Uh, we have a lot of dependency between different applications today. Uh, it's not like 15 years ago where applications are running standalone. They're all interconnected today. Um, basically making all those applications self-protecting, that's a very long way to go. And some of those applications we don't even have the developers anymore because there are those mainframe applications, uh, and they still will uh, live for quite some time to go. So uh, looking at what I see really in the future is, uh, first of all, the cy- cyber threats are not going away. Uh, I mean, if you look to listen to what the FBI director, uh, James Comey, said, he's basically talking about that this is the new norm. Basically get used to it. This is the way it will be, and it's not getting easier. We talked about the Internet of Things. We talked about the cloud technology. We talked about the, the consumer side. The, the capabilities of the hackers will get better, and the potential for them to make money out of all these new technologies is getting significantly bigger. They will not stop doing this. Mm-hmm. This is too much money for them in this. So what is needed, and I think this will happen, there will be much more awareness in organizations, much more awareness for everybody, because we see it already happened, specifically in the last two years, we see so much more awareness in the news about um, the security aspect, uh, and I think there will be much more awareness also on the companies, on the corporations uh, to do something about this, um, but it also means because, again, the hackers are not 
slowing down, we all need to be on our toes. We all means the companies, the governments with new regulations, um, the users, you, me, everybody, we all need to be up on our toes, stay up to date, learn, okay, how can we protect our own data? Um, and how can we, uh, you know, keep the security approaches, technologies updated and a place to protect ourselves uh, moving forward? So Thank I think you, we, Andreas. We are getting better, but it's, it's still a way to go. Okay. I have a bonus question with just, I need a number from each of you because I have to get ready to close the show. Question is, we started the show saying many organizations have significant network security in place, but 84% of all cyber attacks are happening on the application layer. 2020, indulge me, please. Go ahead to 2020. What will that percent be of cyber attacks? How much percent, how high a percent will be happening on the application layer by 2020? Jason Schmidt, give me a number. 95 Whoa, Rick Turner, give me a number. Yeah, no, unfortunately, Jason just stole my number because that was what I was going to go with, 95, that's, I think. That's okay. Andreas, you want to make it a trifecta? What do you think? Uh, I, I nearly just, <laughs> to spark something here, I nearly want to go higher with, with 98%. I think it's Oh, high my high. goodness. I've asked Dave Fowler to, to invite the three of you back for a part two. No pressure, Dave. we got so much more to talk about. I have my own predictions, and I have to do them really fast. Uh, we're launching five new SAP Game Changers radio series. Just launched Digital World with Game Changers this week, next Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Stay tuned for Transforming Your Business with Game Changers. The week after, we add Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers. The week after that, we add Business Innovation with Game Changers. And finally, on March 3rd, we debut a show called Game Changing Women. Woohoo! I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is the end of our broadcast week. I'll be back on Tuesday morning with Transforming Your Business with Game Changers. So, thank you to Jason Schmidt. Thank you to Rick Turner. Thank you to Andreas Gloga. The three of you were amazing. Thank you to Dave Fowler and Katie Mosier and, and Mark Labids and SAP Services and Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. The real kind. You know, you put the buckle together, no software involved. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.